Biff wants to begin a counseling ministry in his local church, and the leadership is aware of the church's sanctification needs, and they want help, and they humbly acknowledge this need. And so they asked Biff to propose a plan. Biff came to me, and he asked how to go about this new endeavor. What are the critical details for starting and sustaining a counseling ministry in a local church? I want to share with you what I told Biff. Now, Biff is a fictional character, the life and times of Biff and Mabel. Many of you are aware of, and some of you are thinking, can Biff really lead a counseling ministry? He's got so many problems in his life. Well, Biff's fictional, but what I shared what I'm going to share with you is what I've shared with many pastors, and I thought it would be good to put it in a in an article and also a podcast. Having a counseling ministry in a local church is a big deal, and you want to make sure that you start off on the right foot. And so I've written this out for you. If you are a local church, a pastor that's interested in counseling ministry, uh, this will be an important podcast and article for you. If you are someone like Biff and you want to start a counseling ministry in a local church, well, you want to read this as well. Perhaps some of you will want to share this article and the podcast with your leadership team. And as always, we're here for you, and I do mean that. And so if you have questions that you want to ask me about this article slash podcast, well, all you have to do is ask. Hit the content contact link if you are a pastor and and want to talk specifically for many of you what you'll need to do is to jump on our free community forums and we can interact there as well i have a lot of articles that are embedded inside this one this one is just a little over two thousand words and there are a couple of dozen articles that are also embedded and so you could Uh, Take this article and read it and all the embedded articles, and you will come out on the other end with a whole lot of training. And then some of you will be interested in our Mastermind program. That is our all-online counseling ministry where we train people how to do biblical counseling. It is It's a wonderful program that is for a few people, and if you think you are one of the few, then we would love to discuss that with you. If you want to find this article on our website, it is provided to you by the people who support this ministry. They are the backbone of this ministry. They make it happen. With their faithful support, we're able to give all of these resources away freely to the world. And so thank God for each and every one of you who do support our ministry. Talia, thank you for your donation today. In addition to your support, I am so grateful for you. Talia, and and just thank you for your uh, faithfulness uh, to support this ministry and your affection for it. The podcast, the article, How Do I Begin a Counseling Ministry at My Local Church? The most crucial step in the the beginning of this process is to identify the person that you want to lead this valuable church ministry. Not every church has someone with the gift mix for this type of endeavor. And there is a unique gift mix, not only for the person leading a counseling ministry, but for counselors, those who do it in a formalized setting. I'm not talking about counseling that every Christian should be doing, but I'm talking about high-end formalized counseling. There is a gift mix 
for that. And unfortunately, because many counselors who are doing formalized counseling do not have this gifting, and they're not doing counseling well, and, and some of them, and we do have those stories, sadly, where they hurt people uh, because they really don't know how to do what they say they can do. They don't know how to do it well. And so when you begin looking for or thinking about starting a counseling ministry, it is crucial that you identify the person with the proper gift mix. And I'll talk through some of that here, but there are also articles linked here that will help you to identify the kind of person that you're looking for. I'll give you some of those descriptions in this podcast. The church counseling ministry will rise or fall on the leadership of the individual at the top of the hierarchy. And so in this podcast and article, I'm going to go through eight things that should influence your decision making. I'm going to give you those eight things here, and then I'll work through each one of them individually. Here's the order that I'm going to give them to you. And again, if you want to get this information, it's sitting right here free of charge. Jump on our website and you can get this article. There's a print button at the bottom of every article. And so just print it off and there you go. You have it. All right. One of eight. Number one, your counseling ministry leader must be a male, a man. Number two, he doesn't need to be a pastor, though there are benefits if he were. Three, he must be well-grounded in theology. A degree in theology is ideal. Number four, he should have practical working knowledge of counseling. Five, he should be able to envision and equip others to do counseling. Six, he should be a leader of leaders. People want to hear what he has to say. That's one of the ways that you can tell if he's a leader. That's that gathering ability that I like to talk uh, talk about. Uh, number seven, his tail can't wag the dog. Counseling is a subset of the church, not the main thing. And then number eight, his first job will be to cast a vision for the church as you begin establishing a counseling ministry. All right, let me take all eight of those in the order in which I gave them to you. That's why I didn't elaborate much on them. I just ran through my bullet list. But now I want to slow down and look at all eight of them. Number one, he should be a male, a man. I'm aware that this worldview will raise the hairs on the back of some people's necks. And unfortunately, we have drifted so far from biblical norms in some certain Christian circles that too many of our brothers and sisters perceive biblical standards as abnormal. The counseling leader, being a man, is it's not about the inferiority of women or the superiority of men. It's not about that at all. And unfortunately, when you start talking about hierarchy, uh, the people who will scream the loudest will always put it in that context. And that is not what I am saying at all. It's not about who has less, who has more. Uh, it's just about a biblical normal, biblical, historical hierarchy. And in this case, as far as a counseling ministry is concerned, it's better for that person uh, to be a man. I realize the abuses of biblical structures, biblical hierarchies, well, they are there, but it doesn't mean that we should tear them down. Actually, it's our, <clears throat> excuse me, it's our call to, to demonstrate the biblical way. 
and what we're seeing in our country as I am doing this podcast. People want to tear down all the structures uh, because they say because of the abuses, and there are always abuses because sin does abound, but because of the abuses, they just want to tear the whole thing down as though the whole thing is wrong. There really should not be a tension here as far as hierarchy and the person leading the counseling ministry and the church is a teaching elder job in a sense. And there shouldn't be a tension here, even any more than the fact that a husband should be the head of his household. All people are equal before God. We know this. This is not debatable, or it shouldn't be. But there has to be a hierarchy within systems for those systems to work. Again, this is just common sense. Every human should know this at some level, and I think that if we were all intellectually honest, we would say, yeah, there needs to be hierarchy within certain systems. For example, I submit to any police officer on duty because he or she is part of a system that requires my humble submission, and we teach our children to do that as well. But I have also counseled several police officers in my career, and in that context, I I respect them, but I expect them to submit to my counsel if they want me to serve them through their situational difficulty. Submitting to others is a wise and biblical idea. And so even in this illustration that I'm using as far as submission to hierarchical structures, I submit to police officers when they are on duty and do what they, they say or have always been and, and plan to always do that. But then I also expect them to submit to my counsel when they come to me for counseling. And the police officers that I have counseled in the past, well, they have done that uh, and there's really no argument there. So again, biblical structures are common sense and they are necessary. And the person leading a counseling ministry, he is the point man for the ministry. He will be the one doing the primary training and the counseling, at least in the beginning. He will be envisioning the congregation. He will be envisioning other churches because you will not be able to contain uh, what you're doing. If, if if what you're doing, you're doing well, then other churches will want to be involved in or want to know how to do it. And so this person will be go, going and instructing other pastors, elders, leaders. And so he'll be envisioning the congregation, the other churches, the community. Uh, he'll be engaging the community and potentially the blogosphere. He, he could very well be, because that is one of the means that we can communicate the practical message of Christ, more than likely he'll be operating in the blogosphere as well. A counseling ministry is not a corner office job, which is part of what I'm trying to communicate to you here, but it is a church-wide philosophy of ministry that you must work into every member's mind as well as the community. And so a large load of his training and counseling will be leading men, leading husbands, pastors, small group leaders regarding how to shepherd their wives, how to lead their churches, how to care for their small groups. This role should be for a man. An ideal situation would be for the counseling point person to have key females on his counseling team to assist in female-only counseling and training situations. It never has been my practice to counsel women privately or long-term. 
and having a competent woman who can equip and counsel others is critical. And so point number one is your counseling ministry leader should be a male, and I've made a case for that. Number two, he should should he be a pastor? That is the question. He doesn't have to be part of a pastoral team. It's not necessary for him to be a, an elder or a pastor. Whether he is a pastor or not is not the most vital thing. You want a person who can dedicate himself to the training and counseling of the congregation. You can He can be a pastor. You can call him director of the counseling ministry or whatever, however you want to designate that job. But a church should never put that role, what I'm describing to you here, a counseling person, they should not put that role on a lead pastor. And the reason is because it's so expansive, so comprehensive. And I realize that small churches, they need creative ways to delegate their growing counseling requests because they don't have the finances to pay somebody to do this. This is a full-time job to lead a counseling ministry at a local church. And so if you put it on the senior pastor, basically you're giving him two full-time jobs, doing the counseling, carrying the counseling training load, and then also leading the church in all of his other pastoral responsibilities. Quite frankly, the pastor has too many responsibilities, and to add to his duty the intimate, the detailed, and the comprehensive sanctification needs of a few people, it would not be helpful for the church's overall health. In fact, you would run him into a corner job, a corner office in the church, because he would spend a good bit of his time, too much of his time, counseling people. And so what it would do, it would segregate the pastor to a few people while cutting him off from the whole flock, the ones that he will give an account. And I would not want to give an account for a group of people that I could not shepherd. But if you make the lead pastor, the counseling pastor, well, you you really, it's going to handicap what the church can can be and should be. Now, if the church were large enough to have a pastoral team where one person could lead the counseling ministry, which was his primary job, then being part of the pastoral team could work. He would be a pastor dedicated to one job, which is the counseling ministry of the church. But if there are only two or three pastors, the whole church needs these pastors' full-time care not just those who come to counseling. And so my big point here, should it be a pastor? Well, you know, that's debatable, necessary, not necessary. It just depends on where you land on that. But what is non-negotiable is that it needs to be a unique person who has the gift mix, the skill set, to be able to run that ministry and not be multitasking doing other pastoral type jobs. And you don't want to put this burden on the senior pastor as well. It's one of the reasons that we supplement the local church with our parachurch organization, not to replace it, but to come alongside these busy pastors who do need counseling help from time to time. And so point number one, he should be a man. Point number two, should he be a pastor? Well, it depends. Point number three, I talked about sound theology. He should be a well, he should be well grounded in theology. Counseling is the application of theology, pure and simple. 
We are Christian counselors, people who counsel the Word of God. If he has not had substantial and sound theological training, he will not be able to counsel well. His counseling ability will rise and fall on the depth and comprehensiveness of his theological training. And so if the educational choices were theology or counseling, if it was limited in that tight two options, he should choose theology because it's foundational to everything that he will do. Not knowing the Bible is the biggest failure in our local churches as well as our country, and we're seeing that, uh, people drifting away uh, from the biblical foundations of this country, and we're seeing where it is taking us. Biblical ignorance is a huge failure, not just in the country, but as I said, in our local churches. Christians must be theologians, the study of God, first and foremost. Ideally, this counseling lead person, he will have theological and counseling degrees. And if he, had only, if he can only have one, you want someone who has the training in God's Word Theology is analogous to an individual dipping a bucket of water into a well. The water is the theology that refreshes the soul. And the deeper the well and the colder the water, the better the satisfying refreshment of the soul. You'll not be able to envision and train others if you do not have a deep theological well. This person must be a wordsmith, a master of the word. And then we come to counseling knowledge. Uh, counseling knowledge. My intent is not to downplay counseling knowledge, but to exalt theology. And so counseling, counseling ability, counseling knowledge is extremely high, but I'm exalting theology. And so the individual leading this valuable ministry, he must have a working knowledge of counseling too. The teacher must know more than the student if he is going to counsel and train well. He needs to know more than the counselees if he's going to counsel well. And so what you can do is you can assess this point person to see how well qualified he is to step into this position. And there are many ways to do that. And I have some articles here linked here that will help you to discern if this person is the right fit for leading the charge as far as the counseling ministry is concerned. But I want to give you three basic assessments that you can make in the order that I'm presenting them here. Number one, he's mature. And maybe you want to ask the question, is he mature? What I mean is that he has worked through most of his life's junk. Sometimes, many times, actually, we have folks who come to our mastermind program who are not leaders as much as they're counselees. They have not worked through most of their life's junk. And as much as I try to warn them when they come to our mastermind program that you need to have worked through a lot of your stuff because this counseling training that we're doing is not for counselees. It's not a replacement for your discipleship training. It's not something that you could just do because you have a burden for people, but you haven't worked through your own junk. 
And unfortunately, many times our mastermind program becomes the process of helping these people work through some issues that should be uh, they should be in their rearview mirror. And so the person leading a counseling ministry is very similar. He must be mature. He must be must have worked through most of his life's junk. And though we're always a work in progress, this person, because he's at the point, he, he's on point, he's the leader, he has to be farther down the road than the average believer. And so is he mature? Number two, his marriage. He should be married ideally because of what he's stepping into. You want a person who's the husband of one wife and able to be able to not just be married but understand what it's like to be married because that's going to have a huge impact. Again, you're a person on point, and you're going to be dealing— it's like having a youth pastor who's 22 years old, not married, no children— Hasn't worked through teenagers yet. It's just not ideal, even though I know that most seemingly most churches like these young guys uh, that can jump through hoops and they're entertaining and probably very sound theologically. I'm not throwing them under the bus, uh, but there is a difference in a person who uh, is married and has children uh, beyond teenage years, the very people that the youth pastor is interacting with. And so his marriage uh, should be a stable and growing picture of Christ and his church. His wife is his primary disciple. And so the question that you want to ask is, how has he been doing and caring for her soul? He has spent more time interacting with his wife than any other person in the world, meaning she has experienced him more uh, than anyone else has experienced him. And so in a sense, she becomes a litmus test of his skill. He should be a good marriage partner. Again, he's on the point. He's ahead of the church, leading everyone else in sanctification. And then number three, beyond the effect of his counseling ability on himself and his wife and his children, you want to know how he's been discipling others what proof do you have that he knows how to counsel others beyond himself, his wife, and children? It's not unusual for a person to have a burden for counseling. They want to help others, which is commendable and right and godly. You always want a burden to help people. But leading a counseling ministry is both burden and gifting. A burden is excellent, but that does not qualify a person. It does not translate into a person who can lead a formalized counseling and equipping ministry. Desire and ability are not always equal. It would be like me trying out for the choir. I have a desire. And though I love to sing, I have a burden for it. It would not serve the choir or the congregation to turn me loose on Sunday morning. And so he needs a broad range of counseling knowledge. My next point is a trainer of others. He should be able to train, envision, and counsel other people. Does he have to be an expert in biblical counseling? No, he does not. I'm not even sure what that question means. Honestly, I'm still learning how to counsel people. Each person that I meet, as each week passes, I have grown in my counseling ability. And so what you're looking for is not the perfection of counseling ability, but you're looking for present ability. Does he have that ability? Can this person counsel others 
Can he train others? The point person in a counseling ministry will engage every possible flaw, failure, and sin known to humanity. Every sin, abuse, crime, and injustice could walk into his office. He'll have to understand how to help these broken people and train those who are part of his counseling team. So it's not just having this broad expanse of counseling knowledge and practice ability, but he also has to train those under him. This opportunity is not for the weak-hearted, but a passion that includes expertise that comes with seasoning. His counseling prowess is similar to the theology query that you want to make. Should the counselor be a world-renowned Bible scholar? No, but he should be a respectable theologian before he embarks on such a massive task as building a counseling ministry in a local church, and he must know how to counsel and to train others. And then I talked about a leader of leaders. His primary responsibility will be equipping people, not counseling them. He will want to build a counseling team because he can only do so much counseling. Having a team of qualified counselors is essential. The counseling team consists of leaders, other people who can lead individuals, namely leading counselees. This podcast, if you haven't picked up on it, is a leadership podcast. It, it, it is a podcast that is only for a few people because everybody doesn't have this gifting, but that's what you want to assess. According to Paul's model in 2 Timothy 2.2, your point person is entrusting sound teaching and training to faithful men who will teach others. And so what Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, he said, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And you're looking for that pattern in your counseling ministry. It would go like this. Number one, the, the counseling leader, the point person's first job is to envision and train other leaders, his counseling team Number two, these well-trained leaders will do the bulk of the counseling. They will be entrusting to others what they have learned from their leader. Number three, there is an expectation of the counselees growing in their faith and practice to do the same. The counselees should teach others. They should teach their spouses and their children and their friends. The counselee's job is not primarily to get better, through counseling, the counselee's job is to get better, to go out and make disciples. And so the point person trains a team. The, the team counsels people, and they're equipping those people so they can go out and counsel people as well. And so the point person leads men and women to counsel men and women so these formal, former Counseling men and women can go and disciple other men and women. It continues to trickle down. This practical plan makes the point person a crucial player in the church's counseling structure, which is why it's a full-time job that you can't expect the pastor to do unless it is all that the pastor did. And then I talked about no dog wagging. The, the counseling ministry cannot be the tail that wags the dog, no dog wagging. One of the bigger cautions that you want to avoid is this notion that sanctification only takes place in the corner office of the building where the counselor hangs out. 
When you begin a counseling ministry, some folks may unwittingly think that sanctification is for the professionals. And if that happens, you'll have an unwanted two-tier system in your church, the haves and the have-nots, those who can do it and can't do it. In the older days, it went like this when someone was close to becoming a Christian, when you were out soul winning, and the person was on the line, and we would say, hey, you want to get saved? Come see my preacher. And then with the uptick of counseling over the past 50 years, we have slightly modified it to something like, hey, you want some help? Come see one of our counselors. What you want every person in your church to say is, hey, you want some help? Let's sit down and talk. Part of this problem is the word counseling. It's not the best term for sanctification. The better name is discipleship, which every Christian should be doing according to their God-given gifting. You don't want the tail wagging the dog. The counseling ministry as the place where folks find help. If you create that kind of vision, you will unintentionally demotivate some of your people from working within their God-given soul care abilities. If you don't want the tail wagging the dog, if you don't want the counseling ministry wagging the church, then you've got to make sure that everybody knows that counseling is a subset of discipleship, and everybody has to be doing discipleship. And so the first stop in somebody getting help is for that person to meet with you. And it may be, you may find that that person's problems is a pay grade higher than you. Well, then you can take it to the counseling team. Potentially, you can take it to the lead counseling person. But it's a full-body ministry. The title of this podcast is, How Do I Begin a Counseling Ministry at My Local Church? I got all the way down to cast a vision, which was the last part, but I'm out of time. But no worries, you can read this. In fact, in this section under cast a vision, I talk a little bit about how I started a counseling ministry in 1997 at a local church of about 1,500 people that is still going well today. You can read that, plus the call to action, and you can talk to us too. Thank you so much for listening.